All right, I think most of you guys are back. Welcome back. Thank you for doing that. Uh, that breakout time together was actually quite appropriate given the, given the content that we're going to be studying today. We're jumping into part two of Closed on Sunday, You My Chick-fil-A. We talked about last week how being new in Christ changes the way that we experience the rest of our lives. It changes us because we become new people in Christ. We've been regenerated, we've been born again, and that's going to have an effect on how we do the rest of our lives. And we talked about some of the implications of that. We talked about looking forward to heaven and, and not being stuck on this life, but looking to the life to come and investing in that heavenly property, not the one that we have now. So today we're going to revisit this conversation and we're calling it part two because it's really this, this section goes together. Chapter three really is one collective thought unit because Paul starts talking about putting off the old man and putting on the new man. And as I told you last week, it's like putting on a new pair of clothes, taking off an old dirty jumpsuit and now dressing the way that, that is dignified and righteous in Christ. I saw this vine, not a vine, sorry, show my age here. I saw this TikTok this week and I thought of you guys. Uh, because it's his TikTok of this guy who was previously homeless. And, and there's this uh, charity organization that gives haircuts to people like this and cleans them up. And so this scraggly old, not old, he's actually quite a young guy. Uh, scraggly young guy is having his whole head reshaped and remade. You can see he's getting a shave. They clean him up nice and pretty. And it turns out at the end of this, this guy looks like a completely different person. He's only 30 years old. And the guy that's talking on this video, there's profanity there. So I didn't want to have you guys hear that. But the guy talking on this video talks about how he was delivered from drugs and how he went to rehab. And now his life is turned around. He's got a family and kids. And he's talking to this guy sitting in his chair because this guy in the chair is suffering from a very similar malady. He's addicted. In fact, the guy who was talking said, hey, what, what kind of drugs are you on? And this young 30-something-year-old guy is saying, yeah, I'm on meth. Again, remember the, the picture of this guy at the beginning. And now look at him. The dude looks like George Clooney. The transformation is impressive, right? Uh, and I know the organization's all about uh, be, being kind to the homeless. I believe a haircut can change someone's life. Sure. But there's the image of the guy beforehand. Amazing transformation. But when you become a Christian, your transformation is even more than that. So we don't just get a haircut. We get a soul cut. <laughs> We're circumcised in our soul and made brand new in Christ so that this transformation pales in comparison to the kind of change that happens inside of you as a believer. That's what we're going to look at today in Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. We're going to look at two verses and get a sense of what kind of transformation is required of the Christian. And I use the word required because it's not an optional. It's not an optional thing. When you become new in Christ, you become new, period. Uh, you are now made to live and love like he did. Here's what it looks like. Paul starts here in Colossians 3, verse 12. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You'll notice that everything he's talking about here is talking to the church. He says, as you guys have become Christians, we, we talked about this a, a couple, uh, last week. If then you are now with Christ, here's the kind of kingdom ethic that you are supposed to have with everyone else around you who claims to be a Christian. In other words, you can't have the same attitude uh, towards Christians that you have toward all people. Maybe you're a cynic and you don't like people, or maybe you love people. He says, but Christians are to look at each other with a new attitude. 
And that new attitude really is the first point. Adopt a new attitude toward Christians. You are new, and therefore, look at the new people around you and treat them differently. Treat them in a way that shows that you belong to Christ, and you no longer identify with the old way of living. One of the most interesting transformations in our culture today is the prevalence of face masks. And I started thinking, man, this is, this is something that's going to probably be around for a long while to come, a year, two years, maybe five years, or maybe it becomes something co quite common. Uh, Asian people, I, I've always wondered, why do they wear face masks? What's up with that? And apparently there's a couple articles that seek to answer that question, uh, but they've been doing it all along. It's part of their, you know, it's part of the way that they live life. So the question then for us is well, what's different on our part that's making us do what they used to do? Because today everyone's wearing face masks now, right? You know, you got dogs wearing face masks, you got cats wearing face masks. Everyone is wearing, that's the way a cat looks they look better that way, by the way. It's still terrifying, but they do look better when you cover the face. Okay, everyone's wearing face masks right now because something traumatic happened to our culture. We've been accosted by this invisible virus, and now everyone's doing something different because of this radical, fundamental shift in the way that we do life. That radical, fundamental shift is very similar for Christians. You see, because even though everyone has experienced this whole shift in the, the C-19 uh, uh, the way that we interact with one another, still not everybody wears face masks, right? Not everybody chooses to wear gloves. Not everybody chooses to social distance, uh, physically distance themselves from others. Now, it's still very much a choice. You still have the choice whether or not you're going to abide by the new social distancing norms or whether you're going to buck the system and do your own thing. It's kind of similar to the Christian life, although there's a little bit more at stake here. Let me try to explain. When you become a Christian, you put on the Holy Spirit. You become new in Christ, but you still have a choice of whether or not you're going to wear those clothes or whether you're going to walk in sin. Now, the Bible says if you're a Christian, you have an obligation to wear the new clothes that Christ has given you, but yet there's still a choice, which is why the command is given in Colossians 3, put on the new clothes of the Christian. Wear these clothes instead of just casting them off and living like your old self. This is the new life that you're supposed to have. And it's very similar to the world around us today. You have a choice to wear the face mask. You have a choice to wear the fruit of the spirit, or you can choose to do your own thing. Paul encourages us. And he gives a very massive foundation for this. Pay attention. This is very important. Okay. These next few words I'm going to give you are very important. The reason why Paul tells you to do this is not so you can be a good person, so you can love your neighbor, although that's, that's true and that's important. Here's the primary reason he gives you for putting on these new clothes. Pay attention. He says, put on then. Put on then. In, in other words, because of this reality, you are God's elect, you are holy, and you are beloved. Because of those three realities, now you should put on those new clothes. In other words, because of your new identity, you should act as God's chosen ones, or rather, because of your new reality, because you are chosen by God, it means now you belong to God. You now are no longer your own. God is yours and you are his. You are his property, double, doubly so, because first of all, you're a creature and all creatures are made by God. But secondly, you were redeemed by God at the cost of his son. You are God's chosen instruments. And now you belong to God. That identity extends not just to belonging to God as in like his personal property, but there's also the elements of being holy. You're set apart for his purposes. The idea of holy is separation. That's the idea of consecrating you as his person to do his work. 
Now, you might think about in the tabernacle or the temple, there were instruments that were set apart, that were holy to the Lord. They weren't meant to be used. Like you couldn't take one of the bowls of the tabernacle and use it for cooking. That'd be a violation of God's holiness. And in a very similar sense, God has set you apart as one of his holy instruments for his purposes. That is an amazing, incredible privilege for you to enjoy. But even more than that, it's not just this stoic, cold, calculated love for you. Man, you are warmly beloved of God. You have been loved, you are being loved, and you will be loved. Think about this. You have been loved in the past. God has chosen you in eternity past to be his own son or daughter. You are being loved presently. God has given you his spirit to encourage you, to, to enable you to walk the Christian life, and you will be loved perfectly in the future. In other words, God is going to shower his love upon you for all of eternity, meeting every single one of your deepest longings and desires. This is who you are. You are no longer a, a, a starving, uh, by yourself kind of loner. You've been adopted by God. You've been set apart for God and you are beloved by God. And that is made so clear through the work of Jesus Christ. So clear. In other words, stop wearing the old clothing. Wear the new clothing. Instead of wearing the old, old clothes of slavery and unrighteousness, wear the new clothes of serving Christ. So here's what that might look like. I don't know if you guys have seen stuff like this before, but you might see uh, shoes like this. Uh, these shoes, which look terrible, they're new shoes. They're new shoes, by the way. These are new shoes that are meant to look distressed and old. And these shoes are hundreds of dollars, hundreds. There's a pair of jeans. It's very similar. The pair of jeans that looks old. And these jeans are $425. Some of you guys have probably bought these jeans. I, I, Sienna, you know you bought these. I saw you. I saw you wearing these. $425 for these used jeans. Uh, that sounds like a good deal, right? Or you could, maybe you can buy this used looking jacket that has mud stains on it for $425. It's, it's, abs it's absurd. It's insane. But the idea here is you're paying a lot of money to buy these clothes that are supposed to look old and distressed. Why do that? Stop putting on old clothes. Put on the new clothes of the Christian attire. Put on, as believers, something far better. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, and he's going to give you five pieces of clothing to wear, okay? And you see it there. Uh, put on, then, because of who you are, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Okay. We're going to break those down. And here's the new clothes that you're supposed to wear as a Christian. The first one, as we talk about putting on uh, the, the compassionate hearts, compassionate hearts, what is that? Let's talk about genuine concern for the welfare of others. As a Christian, you are called to love Christ, but that love for him can't actually physically take place. Instead, you are called to love other Christians with a genuine concern for their welfare. You hear people, if people get sick, if people get, um, have an issue, you care about this. You are called to care. That's what it means to have a compassionate heart. The word, uh, I think in the King James is, is translated bowels of mercy, having your insides moved uh, out of love for the people that God has put in your life. This is an inner affection and care. Uh, this is uh, the idea of texting or calling people at your church and saying, hey, how are you doing? I'm praying for you. Can I get anything for you? Can I serve you? Because maybe you heard that someone lost their job, or maybe you heard that someone is really struggling with depression during this crisis, and they're not having a good time during this. You reach out because you know that, and you're having that genuine concern for their welfare. 
You are vested. You have a vested interest in the lives of others, whether it's breakups or their colleges or, or their, the, the fights that their parents are having. You care deeply about this. Why? Because Christ cared first by showing you what a compassionate heart looks like. He loved you more than, than, than you love anyone else. So the first article of clothing is a genuine concern for the welfare of others, but also planned acts of kindness, planned acts of kindness. So this refers to the kindness that, that is referred to in this list here, the article of clothing of kindness. Now, this is not merely a goodness as a quality, but rather it is goodness in action. It's something that you're choosing to do on purpose. It's saying, um, I see Shay and I want to do good things for Shay. This is not about un handedness. It's not about trying to manipulate her to do my bidding, whatever that is. It's about showing your Christian brothers and sisters that you genuinely care about them. So it's a natural extension of the first article of clothing. The first article is genuine concern. The second article is planned acts of kindness, a thoughtful and intentive, uh, intentional uh, service to them. Easy enough that you could do this, right? But often we don't. It's as simple really as putting, uh, your, putting together your, your to-do list and saying, okay, I have a reminders for my family, for my shopping, for revival. That's revival last year. Uh, but maybe you need to create a Colossians 3.12 list. That Colossians 3.12 list could be a number of things where you're putting information in there that reminds you of things that you could do for the body of believers in your life, other Christians. You might put things like this. You might follow up with Ryan about his doctor appointment. Text Sarah, encourage her. You might say, uh, tell my mom exactly why I love her. You might say, drop off toilet paper at Dan's house. He needs it. Express appreciation to my leader. You might say, tell my dad I'll clean the garage for him eventually. <laughs> and you have reminders that are intentional, that are meant to remind you of how you can fulfill this. A Colossians 3.12 reminders list. That's what it means to have planned acts of kindness. You're not just saying someday, maybe, hopefully, you're saying this is the day I'm going to do this, and I'm going to have a recurring reminder. I know my friend is struggling with depression and anxiety. So every other day, my reminders tell me, follow up with Amir, uh, reach out to Brooke, text my leader, Sammy, tell Kiana I'm thinking about her and I'm praying about her. Things like that. It's stuff like that. Now, or beyond that, you're at Costco in that ridiculously long Costco line, and you see that there's toilet paper that you can buy because Dan, your leader, needs some tea. I don't know if he does, actually. I'm just using it as an example. So don't give Dan TP unless he asks me for it. But it's stuff like that, practical, intentional acts of kindness that are part of the Christian uh, relational ethic. But even more than that, an exalted view of God is another article of clothing. You can't escape that. Compassionate hearts, kindness, and this is where, where we talk about humility. Humility toward one another is birth from the place of humility toward God. If you're not humble before God, you're not going to be humble before anybody else because God is the highest being in the universe. And if you can't humble yourself in his presence, you're not going to humble yourself in anyone else's. And so the first thing we have to remember is that you yourself don't have it all together. Even the best of men are still men at best. And that means that when we approach God, we need to recognize who we are before God. We need to feel our sin. We need to recognize that God is holy and we are not. Maybe you need to read a book about God's holiness to be reminded of that. Because the more we can lean into that, the more we can recognize who God is and who we are, the better we're going to be able to serve others. The more humble we'll be when others sin against us. And I'm going to get to that very soon because sinning against us is going to happen all the time. But it starts with understanding that when you're new in Christ, when you become part of this family, your job is not to proudly and boastfully uh, posture yourself against your other friends or believers. Your job is to humble yourself way low. Philippians 
2.3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others as more significant than yourself. When's the last time that you deliberately stopped and said to yourself, self, deliberately think of this person as more significant. This is my call as a Christian, and I'm going to do that. So help me, God. That's going to result from an exalted view of God. The fourth article of clothing is a deep respect for others. This is the idea of meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. The idea here is gentleness and courtesy. Um, It's the opposite of self-assertiveness and self-interest. Meekness uh, takes humility and applies it all over the place. Some of us don't have the natural disposition of being meek. Some of us are naturally type A. You know, we're strong personalities, but other of us are meek by nature. That's kind of who we are by design. And that's okay, but that's not what I'm talking about here. This is a deliberate turn where God is calling us to wear the attitude of lowliness, gentleness, and courtesy. Gentleness and courtesy is a good way to think about this. Uh, The idea is looking at all other people around us and saying, even if, even if this person is a rank heathen, they are made in the image of God and therefore they are worthy of my respect. Now, there's a lot of different shades of what respect looks like in different venues. Um, And that doesn't mean you can't disagree with people. It doesn't mean you can't disagree with people's politics. Uh, But it does mean that there is a certain posture and tone that Christians take because we are meek. We love all people in a general sense, but we deeply respect them because every person that you see, black, white, uh, Democrat or Republican, Christians or non, are made in God's image. And that means that when we see them, we see an image bearer. We see someone who bears the reflection of God himself, which means we have a deep respect for them. That, that's going to cause us to be gentle and courteous because they, they deserve our respect because they're coming from a place of being made in God's image. Now, this is especially important if the person that you're looking across is a Christian. It does not matter if that Christian has sinned against you horribly. It does not matter. What matters is that because you respect the God that we mutually serve, it means that you're going to be gentle and lowly among them. That's hard, and I know I have to elaborate on that, which is why the fifth article of clothing we're going to talk about is that, that, that uh, the idea of patience. I called it this. The fifth article is a long and slow fuse. It's someone who's not quick to get angry, quick to, to start going ballistic. It's not someone who's quick to go scorched earth on people. This person is slow to get angry because God has shown them such mercy and patience. And so I want to highlight to you something very important, young person. Do not, do not tune out in the next four minutes, okay? Pay attention. The next four minutes are critical. God calls us as Christians to bear with one another. That bearing is exactly what it sounds like. It's like putting up with people, people that aren't like us, people that say things differently than us, people that annoy us or irritate us, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, Here's a powerful word that you ought to memorize, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. You also must forgive. One of the biggest, most problematic areas in our lives is, well, I guess your lives as high schoolers is that relational dynamic of constantly having that, like that clickish. I'm fighting against the click thing. I'm fighting against the teenage drama that is always prevalent. But you as a Christian are fighting for this for a different reason. You have a long and slow fuse because 
you, you realize that uh, you are not the center of the universe. Uh, you are covering over other people's sin and you're, you're, you're remembering that preferences are not worth fighting over. You might say, yeah, I want Chick-fil-A. I want Cane's. Well, it's Sunday. Okay, well, guess we have to go to Cane's. Uh, I want this. You want that. There are preferences that we don't need to fight about. Your job as a Christian is to cover over sin, bearing with one another and remembering that God forgave you. And now you are in a position to do as the same to do the same thing that he's done for you, which means your job when people sin against you is to begin working toward forgiveness. Doesn't mean that you uh, overlook serious uh, sinful situations, but it do, does mean that your default posture is, I, I, I have the posture, the attitude of forgiveness. You deal with sin righteously, righteously, which means again, you're bearing first of all, the attitude of forgiveness. Forgiveness happens on two realms. There is the attitude that says, even though Matt sinned against me, I, I want to be reconciled to Matt. I don't want me and Matt to no longer be friends. I don't want me and Matt to have beef that makes it awkward when we go to the same place together. I want us to be brothers in the Lord. I want us to be sisters in the Lord if it's a gal. The attitude of forgiveness is a demand of the Christian life. If you've been forgiven much, so you also must forgive much as well because no one has sinned against you more than you've sinned against God. And so when God calls you to forgive, it starts first with the attitude of forgiveness. Transacted forgiveness is when there's a, there's a, there is mutual conversation. The person who's been offended brings it to the person who's the offender, and hopefully there's repentance. And when there's repentance, there's reconciliation. And when that reconciliation happens, well, now you have a relationship that's been restored. Matthew 18 talks about this in a, in a beautiful way and says that, that you've earned, you've gained a brother. This is the kind of attitude that the Christian church ought to have. And then, man, there's so much more I want to say about that, but you're going to spend some time on this in your small groups this Wednesday. Please don't miss it. This is an important concept. These are the articles of clothing that the Christian church ought to wear. And then Paul says the very last thing, above all these, put on love. And in other words, to say it differently, the thread that runs in all of these five articles of clothing is love. Uh, a long and slow fuse, but Christ-like love is a thing that weaves in and out of every single one of these positive qualities of the church. Attitude, uh, the new attitude of, toward Christians begins with wearing the garments of Christ, the Christian faith. Hmm. That's point one. Colossians 3.15, let's keep going here. Paul's not done. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. This power-packed verse in 315 tells me that your job as a Christian is to choose peace over provocation. The clothing that you wear extends into your attitude day by day. Obviously, obviously that. You're choosing peace over provocation. You don't want to provoke people to anger. You don't want to light a fire of, of uh, drama in, in the ministry or in your friend group. You want to choose peace. That means that there's a lot of uh, attitudes that you're carrying. You guys remember just uh, last year, we had more wildfires. In fact, California is known for wildfires. But do you know that there are some of these wildfires that are started by arsonists, weird people who get joy out of starting fires that burn up much of our state? Go figure. Go figure. But here's the thing. 
before you start judging them, remember that we ourselves can also be relational arsonists. We can start fights in our own circles because we're creating drama with our tongues. We're saying things and we're doing things that are starting fires. James 3 says it like this, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell itself. We can become relational arsonists by the kind of words we use and by choosing provocation, choosing anger, choosing hostility over peace. And so how do we do this? Well, first of all, you need to recognize that every single one of us, if you call yourself a Christian, you are responsible to be a peacemaker. You are called of God to choose peace. In fact, here's how he says it here in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And that you, or that your rather, is a plural your. Let the peace of Christ rule in all y'all's hearts. Uh, and it's a choice there, right? Let it happen. Don't just sit back and hope that it happens to you. You're not sitting in a lazy boy chair reclining and just hoping that the good things happen. You are choosing this. Let yourself go in the direction of having the peace of Christ, rule, oversee, command, control your plural heart. That's for everybody. And so as you realize that everyone is responsible to be a peacemaker, you need to take that personally and seriously to see yourself as one of the primary agents of God's peace. You've been given peace by Christ. That is, you've been reconciled to God. And now you also have the peace of Christ, which is to say that because you walk in newness of life, you don't have to stress out like everyone else does because you're not controlled by the things around you. You're controlled by the joy of Christ. Choosing peace over provocation then uh, and realizing that you're a peacemaker means that you accept full responsibility for your part in whatever the issue is. Um, one pastor told me, you need to accept 100% of your 10%. Let's say if there's a, as a, there's a conflict between you and your friend and you are only 10% responsible and the other person is 90%, you own 100% of your 10%. You also got to realize that because God calls us to this, this is God's best. You may not like the idea of, uh, of dealing with the conflict with somebody, but this is what God says is good for you and good for the body of Christ. Do you believe that or don't you? Either you do believe it and you pursue it, or you don't believe it and you suffer for that. When you confront somebody, it's done with humility and grace. This, this harkens back to our last our last passage, but it really says, I'm meek, I'm humble. I realize who I am before God. I'm going to take the plank out of my eye before I even dare touch your sin. I need to realize that when I come before you, I'm one sinner talking to another sinner. And as I said, and kind of already alluded to, you should not sweat the small stuff. There's ways that people sin against you that it doesn't even matter. You should not even pursue it. If someone gives you a dirty look, I don't want to see you girls or guys starting having these confrontations every single day because, oh, I don't like the way you looked at me that day. You know, I mean, it, they could have had bad food. They might have gas. They might have a number of issues going on where it's just not even worth bringing up. Most of the things that, that cause you consternation, you just need to overlook. But there are some things that are worth diving into. And you know what those are. They're heavier. They're weightier. They cause the kind of breakups and and relational drama that extend far beyond uh, youth ministry itself. Those are the things to deal with and realize that when we do this, when we act this way, this is going to radically change the way that our church works. It's going to radically change the way that people view Christians themselves. We're not trying to sweep stuff under the rug. We're dealing with it. We're dealing with it. When I used to go to the ophthalmologist, um, the eye doctor, uh, one of the machines that I, I enjoyed playing with was that little, that, that lens device where he says, okay, one or two, one or two. 
um, it was actually really stressful because I, you know, I felt like, I don't know, I can't tell, do it again, do it several more times. I couldn't quite tell at the moment, but these machines help you to see better. Uh, they're, at least the idea is they, they're going to find your prescription so you can see more clearly. It turns out thankfulness is the prescription so that we can see clearly. See, everyone is responsible to be a peacemaker, but gratitude is a thing that corrects our perspective. When we look at the people around us, it's as if we see them through the lens of our own self-righteousness. We're looking at people through the lens of our own standards. We're not looking at it from the position of what God has done. We can look at unbelievers and believers and all people alike and say, man, God, I'm so thankful for this person and here's why. If they're a Christian, God, thank you for saving this person. Yes, they might have sinned against me, but praise you that they are now walking with you and that their sin has been been dealt with on the cross. We're not saying that this is like airy fairy kind of like, oh, I hope this is true. This is reality. Practicing gratitude is seeing reality for what it is and understanding that, man, I have a lot to be thankful for. And it may not be what I want, but I have things far better than I deserve. Paul says in the second part of verse 15, and be thankful. That's all he says, be thankful. And he says this in the context of relationships in the church. And if we love Christ, how those relationships are going to look he says, be thankful. You have every reason more than any other person on the earth to be thankful. You're right with your maker. You have a body of Christ to be attached to. Is it perfect? No, but everyone around you is going to be glorified someday. They're going to be made right. And you get to be partakers of that. You don't have time for this, but maybe you should write it down. Who do I need to make peace with today? Who is someone as I'm talking about all these things, who's someone you thought of? Uh, it might be that you just need to, between you and the Lord, you need to let it go, forgive it, and have the attitude of forgiveness toward them. Or it might be that it's serious enough for you to say, you know what, I'd like to sit down with you and talk with you and really deal with things. Hopefully there's repentance, but if there's forgiveness exchange, transacted forgiveness will always result in a reconciled relationship. Again, you're going to study this coming Wednesday, study this this coming Wednesday. So I'd encourage you to be there for this. As we begin to land the plane, I want to look at these last two verses and make some practical observations for you. Colossians 3, 16 and 17. The driving command in verse 16 is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's the driving command of verses, uh, verse 16. In other words, Paul closes up this entire section of saying, hey, the way that you accomplish this is to make sure that you are controlled by, moved by, motivated by, con uh, uh, you're, you're transformed by the word of God. And it shouldn't just be something superficial to your life. It should dwell in you. It should have a home in you. And the way that it looks is it's teaching and admonishing and singing. All of these things are what it looks like to be someone who's dwelling in the word of God. And then at the very end, he says, whatever you do in word or deed, what this all comes down to is, do you love Christ? If you love Christ and you're living for Christ, this is what it looks like to be part of the Christian body of believers. Point number three, aim to be scripture saturated. And that's for all of us. This can't just be one person pursuing this. This has got to be an every single one of us kind of situation. Aim to be scripture saturated. Some of you guys uh, will work at Starbucks, I'm sure. I, at least I know one of you that does work at Starbucks. But one of the things that I heard that is a benefit for working at Starbucks is that you now will smell like coffee all the time. It's one of those unspoken benefits. They don't, maybe they don't put it in your employee contract, but you smell like coffee all the time and everyone else around you can smell it, but maybe you can't. I used to know someone who their car smelled like coffee just incessantly. And they're like, I don't smell it anymore. Uh, but everyone else around them could smell it. Um, Christians ought to smell like scripture. And maybe people around us don't, don't uh, they, they can smell it on us. They can see it. Maybe you can't quite, but you should smell uh, like scripture because you're in it and around it all the time.
But even if you have the inter the internal desire, like, oh man, I really want to, I, I really want to spend more time in the word and I, I guess I will and I should. Uh, someone said this, a goal without a plan is just a wish. A goal without a plan is just a wish. And I like that. So let me just give you a short and relatively easy plan for a scripture saturated life. First of all, you ought to front load your day with real time in the word. Front load your day with real time in the word. You can't control the afternoon. You can't control the evening most days, but you can control the morning. And if you get up early enough, it's quiet and there's little interruptions. You're not going to get notifications probably. So that's a great time for you to say, you know what? I want to spend more time with you, God, and I'm going to make it good time. It's not going to be, I'm trying to skate by. It's, I want to know Christ. If you're just reading your Bible, just to read it, you're missing the point. You're closer to a Pharisee than you are a Christian. Christians read their Bible to know Christ and to love Christ. It's building up a heart of faith toward him. Second part of your plan is share what you learn with others. And I would encourage you to do this daily. There was one guy that I knew who was really good with this. He's, uh, he, he moved recently to, to, to uh, New York, but on a regular basis, I'd get text messages from him where he'd be like, hey, bro, I was reading this, this passage and it was amazing and here's why. And, and yeah, I, I had to usually read it on the go, but those little things motivated and inspired me. And I said, man, I really need to spend more time in my word. I want to I have that kind of relationship with scripture. That's encouraging. Share what you've learned with others. Um, aim for one a day. And it can be done in the Bible app. It can be done in your group chat. It can be done in a lot of ways. But just be creative and do it. Let scripture guide your advice. Often I know people may ask you questions like, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Um, what do you think about this song or that song? Your job is to try your best to think scripturally about everything else in your life. Uh, maybe it's the, the kind of apps that you use. In fact, I found this app recently called per Perfect Me, a body and face editor. I would encourage you not to download it. Some of the images I don't, I don't, I don't like, and I cut them off. Obviously, you could see that some of them are cut off, but Perfect Me, a body and face editor. Um, man, okay, where do I even start with this? Is there anything wrong with an app like this that changes your face and changes your body shape and make, gives you a six-pack abs and thinner legs and a leaner torso. Is there anything wrong with this? Before you answer that, think critically. As a, as a Christian, is there anything wrong with manipulating the image of your body that you present to others? As, I, as I'm encouraging you in this one, I want you to think about everything through the lens of the Bible. When you think about apps like this or filters like this, is there anything wrong with this? Think critically. Let scripture guide your advice. Um, whether it's that or whether it's a YouTube star, you're watching this YouTube channel with David Dobrik or someone like that um, who's profane, by the way, you should not be watching that dude um, in my estimation. Uh, but thinking about thinking, think, letting scripture help you filter through all of life with, a, with the lens and, and um, with the lens of Christ and saying, would Christ want me to watch this? If Christ saw my YouTube search history, would he be pleased with this? If Christ saw even my, my, uh, my, my, U not my YouTube bio, my Instagram bio. Would Christ be pleased with my Instagram bio? Do people even know that you're a believer? I mean, there's a question. Um, let scripture guide your advice that you give to others. Let scripture even guide the advice that you give to yourself. We self-counsel all the time. The people that talk to us most are ourselves. So when you're talking to yourself or talking to others, be sure that it's scriptural. One of the things you can do is create a, this makes me want to sing loud playlist. Um, and if you can't tell, by the way, I'm going exactly through Colossians 3.16 right now. Um, teaching, admonishing, uh, uh, and singing. Yeah, there we go. Teaching, admonishing, singing. <laughs> this is a, let the word of Christ dwell in you, teaching, admonishing, and singing. So all these letters are following, following verse 16. I created a playlist for you um, a while back. 
for this series. I, I haven't actually shared it, but if you want to look for that on Spotify, that's some of my favorite songs at Exalt Christ. I love those songs. Uh, but maybe you need to create your own playlist that just really revs up your heart. Maybe it's some Shane and Shane. Maybe it's some uh, Third Day. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know who the Christian artists are anymore. <laughs> Phil Wickham. Uh, whatever it is, but things that direct your heart and attention to Christ. That's why uh, Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, singing, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Uh, that's one option for you, one option. Um, represent Christ in the details. This is my last one. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh man, this is so good. This is, this is my last point, and I'm going to begin closing, I promise, so please don't leave. This last part is important here. When we think about everything we just talked about, I said, you're missing the point if you're just reading your Bible just to check it off your list. You're missing the point if you come to our Zoom meetings and just, just to be able to say, I did it. You're missing the point if you're going through the motions without having emotions that connecting you to Christ. The goal is to lean into Christ, to draw near to him, and to learn from him so that he can change you, so that you can get closer to Christ and know him better. Some people do this a lot better than we do, representing Christ in the details. Um, they represent their idol down to the details. And one of those people is a guy by the name of this guy, uh, which his name is Herbert Chavez. He's a Filipino. He underwent 26 surgeries, 26 surgeries in order to look exactly like Superman. Think about that for a moment. The guy is working so hard to manipulate his body so that he can look exactly like Superman. I think the, and by the way, he's not a young man. He's 37. Can't tell by his surgery, but he's 37. Um, the point is obvious. People like this will manipulate, spend thousands of dollars to manipulate their bodies, even their character to look like their hero, their idol. Christian, you ought to be putting in a strong effort, one of your strongest, best efforts to look like Christ, even down to the details. What would Christ listen to? What would Christ drive? What would Christ wear? I mean, I know some of those are silly questions and they could be absurd, but you get my drift here. What would Christ think about my clothing? Think about my musical taste. Think about my friendships. Think about the way that I use my words. You can be like Herbert Chavez and just control the outside, but our job is to be conformed on the inside, to look more like Christ, to be able to say that our lives have been changed by him. It, it demands an ongoing putting on of the Christian clothing. Young person, wear the clothing of Christ. Begin to pursue relationships with the body of Christ. By the way, I didn't make this point, but I need to say this. To be a true Christian, uh, the way that Christ calls us to is not just to receive the gifts of Christ, but to draw near to the body of Christ and to build deep and deepening relationships with your brothers and sisters. All right, that is closed on Sunday, you my Chick-fil-A part two. Let me pray for you guys and we'll call it good. Thank you, God, for the privilege of being called to the body of Christ. If there's anyone who's listening to this who's not a believer, I pray that today you would open up their hearts to draw near to you, to come to know you, to repent of sin and, and become right with you first uh, for the first time and for the last time. I pray, God, please help us as a believer, as a body of believers to take seriously this second half of Colossians 3, which commands us to have relationships with one another. And for those relationships to be good, to be real, to be substantial, to be healthy, uh, not healthy from a, you know, a philosophical psychiatric approach, but healthy from the biblical standard. And, and that means wearing clothing that makes us look more like Christ. 
Please, God, help us to live this life. It's not easy, but it's what you call us to. Let us take it seriously and let this reflect even this week and even today after this sermon. Let that be reflected in our behavior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.